Welcome to Something Came From Baltimore. I am your host, Tom Gallagher, and today I am chatting on Skype, not Zoom, with one of the best bassists of all time, Mike Watt. Watt is a working-class ringer who played with the legendary punk band The Minutemen. Firehose, The Stooges, Porno for Pyros, basically everyone. During the summer of COVID-19, I, I just was walking around for exercise, and I was listening to his radio show that I, I found called Watt from Pedro. It's a three-hour radio show that starts off with a Coltrane song and gets into the music that I've never heard before. And, and I'm late for the party. Actually, Watt from Pedro has been around since May 192001. I thought we would chat about Coltrane, but we just talked about everything, and I mean everything. Here's the long form version of the interview with Mike Watt. Uh, we didn't edit anything out, and we hope you enjoy. Watt from Pedro Show, January 25th, 2009 edition. This started off show with John Coltrane playing Offering, which actually came out after was done in the last year of his life. All right, okay. so let's, let's get into it. So, uh, Mike Watt, welcome to Something Came From Baltimore. Baltimore. Yeah, we're in Baltimore. Yeah. Uh, I'll tell you ever... about the first time I played Baltimore. It was with the Minuteman in February of 1983. Very cold, snowing. It was a place called the Marble Bar downtown and it was kind of heavy and uh but it was a good time Minutemen opened up using black flag stuff then they played the Baltimore gig goers were righteous people to play for yeah they uh, good food uh very cheap uh to live uh on the east coast I saw you with the Minutemen at the 930 club probably on that same tour DC uh, uh yeah well, did you see Black Flag? Because we were opening for them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was... Um, and we're talking about the, the 930 Club on F Street. Yeah, the old one. The good one. Yeah. <laughs> it was fun there. <laughs> I agree, uh, Tom. Yeah. I have to I thank you. During the COVID time period, uh, I was walking and just looking for things to listen to. And I fell into your radio show. I didn't know it existed. In May, it'll be 20 years. How about that? I'm late to the party. 
Look, somebody once told me the only thing new is you finding out about it. Wow. And I'll tell you, it, it hits a nerve on what I want. I want to be challenged with new music I've never heard before. And uh, you are such a uh, awesome. Well, let, let me tell you, Tom, part of the reason I do that show, or like the main reason, it's my trying to repay the debt to the movement. I mean, we're talking about a movement that let De Boone, Georgie, and myself play in front of people. If something that open and that loose, I should let make it possible for cats to get heard. Yeah, and you do. And the weirdest thing is that, you know, I kind of consider myself a, a music snob, but I'll run through those three hours and I barely know anyone. <laughs> and, well, I'll tell and, you this, you, you won't hear, you won't hear anything Mersh. Uh-huh. Well, you can already hear that on the other stuff. So I'm trying no, to play the stuff nobody else will play there, Tom. Yeah, that's why I appreciate it. I, like, each day it's a challenge. And you know, you're talking about COVID-19 days. Since November, I've been doing five shows a week. Usually I do one show a week when I'm not touring. But because of this situation, five shows a week. Yeah. All I with, counted, I think. I all think all with guests, too, which is pretty bitching. You know, for the 20 years, it ain't been guests every show, but I have been. And, in fact, I had a righteous cat from Baltimore last month named Dor. I don't know if you're aware of him. But he's got a project called Glass Network, and it's incredible music. This guy puts together some whack-ass sounds. All my shows are archived, so you can go 20 years, you know, shows you can go. And uh, But last month, this guy, his name Dor in Glass Network is his band. And, man, he, uh, very creative cat. So, you know, just by doing my show, I at the time, that's involved is, is uh people don't really realize it but here you're doing three hours you're doing interviews you're finding music that most people don't know how how do how long does it take to do one show well okay it's digital right mm -hmm. so that means i don't have to play it now of course i listen and you know but as far as making the show you can cut and paste it there tom so what mm -hmm. I do is I prepare before we go on the air, right? I get all my music, and I put it usually into six blocks. And then when I do the show, I always start with John Coltrane. Uh, he's just a fucking, you know, since show one. He's just inspiration to me. He said, music, people are after some kind of truth. I liked it. Mm. <laughs> you know, you know. Nothing about genre or whatever the fuck. It's just a pure. So there's just something about that with that. And uh, I just think he's a beautiful, beautiful cat to help me anchor myself in this music trip. So I start with him. Then I'll play something from my guest. And then I'll talk to him for 10 minutes. And then I'll put on a chunk of music. Just pasting it in there, right? I already got the chunks already made up. That takes about an hour. Okay, then I paste it in. It only takes a couple, right, a minute to do that. Then we start talking again, another 10 minutes. And then another chunk of music, and the first hour is done. Then I start off the second hour. Usually I ask my guests for 11 pieces of music because they're going to be the bookends of each chunk of music, right? Mm -hmm. If I got six. Of course, it starts with John Coltrane, so it's not 12, 
right? It's only 11. So, uh, but for hours two and three, I only talked to him five minutes at a time. So it ends up with about 40 minutes of spiel, about 40, 50 minutes of their music, and then about the other half, 90 minutes, is music I pick. So that's a typical Watt from Pedro show. Now, now, I listened to all your conversations for January, and uh, you were mentioning that you're now getting up at 4 a.m. and going to bed at 7 p.m. Well, that is... started, actually, not, not that early, but that started, you know, I'm 63 years old now, so <laughs> it's hard to hold pisses when you're less younger there, Tom. But, yeah, with this kind of situation, too, uh, time gets weird, right? And I still yeah. need my, you want, want to be healthy, Right, so you still need your rest. It's like a toupee, you know. You move it more forward, that means shorter in the back. If you push it back, yeah, more forehead. You know, mm-hmm. you know, toupee right away. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's yeah, that's yes. the way the conch is for me. Yeah, it's so different than what you're, you know, you're uh, being on the road where you're, you know, up really late at night. It's ah, it's like uh, that with me on the road though. That's why, because I do. Uh, near all the driving. So when after sound check, I got to go back to the boat, uh, line van, and conk until gig time. Mm-hmm. Then my guys will fucking pound on the hatch, and I'll go to the stage. Yeah, it's hard for me. It's just sunlight wakes me up. So even mm-hmm. on the road, I can't live that way, Tom. Yeah, we're learning more and more that sunlight is is one of the best things for you, especially yeah. sunrise. Yeah, of course. I love and and man, in the morning here in Pedro, you know, it's the harbor, Los Angeles, kind of like Baltimore, Harbor Town, Fells Point, right? A lot of clipper ships were built there. Anyway, uh, man, when I go down there, crack of dawn, you know, there's only working guys, right, on the waterfront. It's like I own the town. I love it. And then the oranges and the yellows, love it. I want to do uh, around the questions like you do for your your people on the first hour. Is that right? Because I never heard your answer. Tom, you could do anything you want, man. I said I wanted <laughs> to talk to you. You know. All right, good. So, what's your first recollection of music? Yeah. Okay. When I was a boy, right? As I was born mm-hmm. in Virginia, my pop was a sailor, a machinist mate, and so music for me. I remember he got. We got had to move to upstate New York for a little bit for him to get nuclear training because uh, he got learned in uh, nuclear engine room stuff. So there was a GE had a plant there, and my mom went on a fucking local TV show and sang Downtown, Petula Clark oh, song. Yeah. yeah, so I remember that on the TV scene, your ma, only time she did something like that, I think when she was younger in uh, Peoria, Illinois. As a teenager, she was. She she was born in Wyoming, but it was a coal town. And when they ran out of coal, they shut it down. So she moves to Peoria, and she sang in a big band, I think. So I, I think I have a little show. And her father did some vaudeville, so I have some showbiz. So that's my first recollection, is seeing my ma sing Downtown. Wow. I love that song. It's a great song. <laughs> <laughs> Do you that, remember that fucking clown who blew off the... That clown who blew off the bomb a few weeks ago in Nashville played that before it went off. He did. Yeah, what the fuck's yeah. that about? <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. We don't we don't we don't hear anymore about no, it. No, like, we know, don't. 
The new, the news is so volatile; it keeps on moving that all of a sudden that's like a thing that you forgot. Yeah. You know, it doesn't exist. Well, for me, it rang a bell because I saw my ma singing that song when I was a boy. What, what, he was a QAnon guy, right? Is that what his thing was? Was it? Man, I that think he, you know he all this some... conspiracy stuff. You know, I gotta tell you, man. In the in the eighties, you know, I got that book, Holy Blood, Holy Grail, and I worked for an old Mason, and I would check this stuff out, you know, and. He's swimming in the symbols, okay. But then to fucking, like, get the line on what the truth is and who's really running the show and the man behind the curtain. And these people are just so gullible. And there's other yeah. clowns making all kinds of money on their asses. And worse than that, the country's at, in jeopardy because people are going to give up on the dream. And we're going to go to war again. Like that worked uh, the I, first time. <laughs> I look at it as uh, as Fox News, where they're a news source and and they're constantly pumping out some, you know, false information. And uh, you know, then it's just like talking points. And and uh, but Tom, I don't know if you're ever going to stop that. You're always going to have assholes yelling crazy shit. It's when people start believing it. <laughs> yeah. Right. That's yeah. when the defense has got to be. You can't really shut all these people up. I mean, you can cut them off from certain megaphones and shit, but they're always going to be spouting shit. So we got to have educated people that say, that's not right. Yeah. I went down to Florida, like Miami, like right down the time that they were uh, doing the election. And it was one big uh, trucker, like line after another with Trump uh, flags going up and down the streets and it felt like a whole different world. It just felt like the whole energy level felt different. And I was like, oh, my God, I don't, I don't know if, if this is going to improve. I agree with you, Tom. You know, okay, so we're at, what is what is your first album that you bought with your own money? Yeah, well, in those days, the record companies didn't like cassettes. So they came up with this thing, but, you know, people wanted to play stuff in the car, right? You could record tracks. That's it. In yeah. Columbia, right? You put in a dime, they send you 10 of them, then they send you one a month, and you, if you don't send it back, you got to buy it. Yeah. So I got this anthology, a cream. Yeah, it had all these yeah. vegetables on it. So it had some songs from uh, Fresh, uh, Disraeli Gears, Wheels of Fire, Goodbye. That's kind of an adult... You were a little kid. That's a kind of an adult-y kind of artist to hop on right away, if you think about it. Well, Cream is like 66. They didn't last that long, you know, only a year or two. 66, uh -huh. 67. I had just come to California from Virginia. I actually lived in Virginia twice. Portsmouth born and then lived in Norfolk. Nor smoke, nor drink. <laughs> but, uh, well, Jimi Hendrix was coming on, and he had a trio. I also got that one a little bit, the Are You Experienced? But I don't know. Uh, I don't know why, because Jack Bruce ended up being a big part of my bass life. It yeah. was it was very, but I think it was luck. It was luck, because I didn't know about bass yet. About a couple of years later is when I meet Dee Boone, and his mother puts me on bass. Mm -hmm. So I don't even know what the fucking thing was, but... It ended up being really important. Another one I got was uh, T Rex Electric Warrior. These are all on a, a, still. These are all A tracks. Right? They're all A tracks, and they're all around <laughs> the same time, right? That you Did get a batch of ten it, for a dime. Did it, suck, 
they would they would fade out in the middle of a song and then click and then well what it was in. was what let's say that the, let's say it was 40 minute record mm-hmm. eight track actually means four tracks of stereo right so you divide that 40 minutes into because it's one piece of tape that's uh, continuous so what they do is they take that 40 minute tape they actually put eight tracks on the tape and the head moves so by divide it in four every 10 minutes it's going to do exactly what you said. They fade out the music and it fucking clicks and goes to the next two tracks. Right? So that that was fucked up, right? (laughs) Like, it's time for this song to end. It had nothing to do with the artist intended, right? You got used to it, though. I think it had, Tom, I think it had a big, I think it had a huge influence on Minuteman's songwriting besides that band Wire. (laughs) Time to end it. (laughs) That's right. <laughs> what's what's the first gig that you ever saw? Me and D Boone saw it together. T Rex at the Long Beach that? Auditorium. We were fourteen years old. Albert Hammond opened up. He got booed off the stage. And and, and this was this was the place where they filmed the Don Kirster rock concerts. And they tore it down to Long Beach Opera House now. But we didn't know about clubs. Right, we're 13 in 1970, so arena rock is the big shit. We didn't know about clubs till the fucking punk movement. So this was maybe 3,000, whatever, a smaller place, right? Still, was he was tiny. He was a little guy to begin with. But, and, I, and the sound was, come on, oh, God. But, you know, it was the first gig. With... Uh... Albert Hammond was that seems to it never rains on Southern California. Right. The free electric yeah. band. He had another but, one. Yeah. In fact, yeah, he had but, a son, right? Strokes. Yeah. He's big now. <laughs> I guess. Yeah. I, what, yeah, what, what's their sound? What is that? Sa- that band sound? It's velvet underground, right? Uh, yeah. You know, it's, it's very, it's, it's almost like a little pixie vibe. It's very power pop. It sounds like <laughs> velvet underground to me, but, Albert Hammond, kind of a singer-songwriter kind of guy. You know, you had weird bills in those days. Yeah. Yeah, it was more mix and match. It wasn't so much genre-dominated yet. Fuck genre. Mm-hmm. I really hate it. And it. Well, I have to circle back into your show. That you're, you're, It feels like a free form. Like, I'm getting some techno. I'm getting some... Well, music is music, and, right? Music is music. Yeah. Yeah, I love it. I think it's... a. Uh, it changed my world within this year. So I, I, I'm thankful for it. Um, oh, man, I really had a problem with genre. And the punk movement showed me that. You know, I would see a band, and the first thing my brain would do, who do they sound like? No, let your, band, your mind be free and just listen. Fuck who it sounds like. But the genre thing, man, is like a fucking Berlin Wall. And it, it was physical. You could take a hammer to it. But, yeah, I had to get deprogrammed. I think music is music. And you got to hear it first. If you like it, you like it. If you don't, you don't. <laughs> yeah, you're right. And then you might change yeah. your mind. And it's okay. People... Yeah, so that's, that's a, a problem with the, the programs on, say, Spotify, where they create these lists. Or uh, if you go onto satellite radio and they have all these genres. Like, you get bored with the same thing. And genre. it's reinforced. Yeah. It, look, it's, I think it was a it's... gimmick to help make a marketing man's job easier. Yeah. Well, yeah, fuck that. <laughs> that's that's why I'm, I, I'm agreeing with you, Tom. I'm agreeing with you. Yeah. That's what I'm trying to yeah. say. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm in the grocery store listening to my own music. I'm not. I, I won't allow them to pump in whatever they do. Yeah, it's not my thing. Oh, you ask this question to everyone. Like, were you ever in the choir or marching band? And a lot of times you'll ask that question. You said you have a theory about it, but you never get into it because they kind of answer that question right away. What's your theory when you ask that question? Well, for one thing, I want to find out if the schools even have it because <laughs> schools have gotten rid of their arts and music programs. Yeah. That's oh, why Flea so. started his uh, Silver Lake Music Conservatory. He went back to Fairfax High. They had no where he learned how to play trumpet. They didn't have a program anymore. So, well, that's one of the reasons I ask. The other one is everybody's got their own journey through music and they're all different. You could still, you know, Joe Biden didn't start playing a saccharine trust, didn't start playing guitar till he's 27. Vincent uh, didn't start painting till his last 10 years of his life. So, so some people have it early. Steve Droz, the Flame and Lips man, he told me he was this drummer in his daddy's country band at six. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> playing bars, you know. Look, here's my experience. Seven years, uh, seventh grade, right? So I'm, what, 12 years old, 11 years old, just before I meet Dee Boone. And I get, they put me on the clarinet in junior high. It's first year of junior high. And Mr. Loon is the teacher. And after 10 weeks, he's like, Mr. Watt, you try hard. But you know what? Why don't you stop wasting uh, your time and my time? And he looked at the class and he goes, our time. Wow. Yeah, so (laughs) Watt never took another music class, okay? And I never went back to Mr. Luna to say, hey, by the way, you know how I make my living. But it did traumatize me a little, so I ask about that. It's not like I'm against it. I'm not against uh, anybody teaching anybody anything artistic. I think it's a beautiful thing to share. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I had that kind of experience also. Um, You are a lowercase writer. Uh, you, Except one, 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 one specific uh-huh. example. Personal pronoun I. You'll, you'll, you'll do the I. Yeah. For me, now, lowercase personal pronoun I looks not happening. It just don't look right. So that's the one. And then sometimes I'll capitalize a whole word for emphasis. And it ain't going to have emphasis if I'm always using capitals. Yeah, my... My deal, I used to be a lowercase writer, and then I got pulled over at work, and I was told I had to stop it. But my case was that I just felt I was saving time. Like, sure. it just felt it felt like a waste of time to, to you know, uh, shift and put caps and whatever. So I was like, I, I'm not... Do you I'm know about German? Do you know about German? I am German. Uh, but, but the German language, Deutsch. Oh, uh well, barely, but yeah. Okay, there's some conventions. Every fucking noun has capitals. <laughs> okay, every noun. Now, that's kind of old-fashioned and shit. But, you know, conventions, right? Ways humans get tolerate each other, I guess. I just yeah, can't I, stand lowercase i personal pronoun. <laughs> I, I looked at it online to say, when someone is a lowercase writer... What does that mean about their personality? And it said that you're an introvert, which I don't believe that to be true with you. <laughs> I'm doing five shows a week, not two introverts. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't know. It's like, uh, maybe it's your brother. Yeah, maybe and perform, about- I perform in front of people. No, I, Tom, I agree with you. I like the, that saving time. Also, it gives the caps more emphasis. 
Yeah. Right? You get more so, contrast, right? You get more contrast. Yeah, and it's your style now. It's it's like your Prince. Like Prince had that weird. You know where I first eyes. got it? Where I first got it was the logo for Firehose. I wanted Firehose somehow to carry on Minuteman but be different. Yeah. And I thought it's a littler band, right? It's start, starting over. So if I make that first letter little, it's going to look little. And I use the same font. Remember letter set? You rub with a pencil. That's yeah. what I used for a minute. I used the same font. So, yeah. Having fun with case, letter case. And with pewters, you know, in some ways it's a very literate thing. I thought people would learn how to write better, but they don't, man. You know, using no. shit like uh, your, you know, there and your, there's different forms of writing that than speaking it, okay? <laughs> some people can't get that. Some of it's a contraction, you know. Some of it's an entirely different word. You know, they're going to go over to their car over there. Oh, I'm that person. See? You know what? If I was president, I would ban the word there. I'd just make it one word. <laughs> like, I don't... There, well, what about the word are, red? You know? Huh? What about red? It's spelled the same way. It's just past tense. It depends on the context, right? Now we're getting into it. Yeah, you're right. Well, yeah, I would streamline some of that stuff. Uh, there is, is is my Achilles heel. Um, you want to talk it. about you want to talk about streamline. The Asian languages don't use pronouns. Yeah, so store, house, go. <laughs> You're like, who's store? Who's going? <laughs> talk about shorthand. <laughs> yeah, but it's, it makes for beautiful poetry. Hard instruction manuals, though. You know, look, like most things human, there's dualities, right? You can take the steak knife and cut the steak or cut your buddy. <laughs> mm. It depends how it's wielded. I think that's what you're getting at, Tom. It depends how it's being used. The, uh, you had a uh, kind of a comeback with Porno for Pyros. Uh, well, not a comeback. Actually, Porno yeah. for Pyros is the first time I help another band to that extent. I did do a gig for Saccharine Trust once when their ba bass player bailed out the night before for that World Broken album. But that's the first time where I helped those. Uh, Martine was low and healthy, so they asked me to record a couple songs and do some tours with them. So that was kind of a, that you know, that whole air, that's right around Ball Hugger Tugboat where I do the you yeah. know, solo record with 48 different dudes. <laughs> some solo record. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But so I, it's I, it's I, kind I, of a sea I, I, change period for me right there. I mean, the uh, the uh, Lala 2020, though, weren't you in the, the uh, concert for that? Porno for Pyros? No. I played uh, with them one year of touring in 95, 96. Oh, uh, okay. And then I they, played they with them a few months ago. Okay. Are they thinking about coming back or bringing Pear, you in? Pear or? was saying something about maybe, you know, we did three songs, right, for like some virtual Lollapalooza. Yeah, that's it. And he Lala. said, uh, oh, that's what you were talking about. Yeah. There was yeah. Lollapalooza virtually, and I, that, was a, that was in March or, uh, no, or April or May or something. And that's where Pear told me, yeah, maybe next year, Mike, we'll, we'll do some uh, – Porno for Pyros. So I hadn't played with him in all that area. Now, I've played with Perkins in several things. His band, Banyan, a thing with Peter, the guitar player in Perk, called Hell Ride, where we celebrate Stooges, playing it like John Coltrane. Mm. You know, but with the, the, the unit, Pear, Peter, Perk, 
I, I only did that, yeah, there was like a 20-something year gap in between. So it might be on the horizon. So Yeah, that's what, that's what they told me. That's why they told me. Now, I would never uh, put any pressure on those guys. They're beautiful cats. Mm-hmm. Love them. The uh, um, flannel shirts that you have. Okay, uh, I'll tell I you was... that story. I'll tell you the truth, okay, because everybody's got these theories about it. I'll tell you the fucking truth, Tom. Okay, remember I told you when I met Dee Boone? Uh He didn't know, the only rock band he knew was Creedence. So I go over to his pad, you know. The first day I met him, I showed him my pad. Then the next day, you come see my pad. And he's got all six, fuck Mardi Gras, you know, the first six records are the real ones. Tom Fogarty's still in the band, right? Yeah, yeah, Mardi Gras. Yeah, well, it's got it's got it's got sweet hitchhiker. Oh, so, it's really yeah. rough. That's yeah, rough but rough. it is, especially the ones that Doug <laughs> and fucking uh, uh, Stu do. They're terrible. Yeah. But 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 anyway, anyway, he's got these six records, and they're of course not in the sleeves. You know, they're on the hardwood floor, and there's like grape juice. You need like six quarters on on the Econo the stereo, you know, with the speakers on wires all hanging out, and so it won't skip. You got all this fun. And so I can't hear what the fucking bass is doing. You remember I said his mom right away wants us to be in a band. So I, I'm, okay, I got to learn these Creedence songs. Because that's all D. Boone knows. And I cannot hear the bass, you know. I'm not uh, acclimated or sophisticated, and plus the equipment and everything. But I'm looking at the covers, and I'm looking at the singer's shirts. I'm thinking, you know what? This is, you know, Mark Boland likes a boa. This guy likes... You know, I'm from Navy Housing. I don't know fucking farmers and lumberjacks. He likes these plaid shirts. So I found these at the thrift store. And I thought if I wore those, because I could not figure out the base. So I thought, maybe D. Boom will still like me. Oh, wow. That's how I got into flannels. How are you on the flannels? Like, I've been on stage before, and it is really, really hot. Like, how are you handling... Wearing a flannel and being up there and, and, and playing for 90 minutes. Tom, I think it's called paying for your fashion. <laughs> You're right. Fashion is painful. <laughs> <laughs> right? There's got to be a pra- price, right? Okay, pay the piper. <laughs> pay the piper. <laughs> That's why I do it. I mean, you know, yeah, it is ridiculous. It's not comfortable. But might, I, I don't know. What get this, D. Boone. Get this. The grail for me, especially when I was a boy, was Pendleton's. And Pendleton's is this raw-ass wool. And I would wear those motherfuckers with no T-shirts. And D. Boone couldn't even look at me because he'd start itching. <laughs> <laughs> but I'd say to him, D. Boone, I know I'm awake. <laughs> yeah. that that Those um, all-wool clothes at that time was just basically <laughs> throw a pad. Hair shirts, hair shirts. Oh, my God. Hey, uh, well, this is, we're talking about Minutemen. So um, I looked at Rolling Stone's top 500 albums of all time, right? And they just came out with the 2020, and Double Nickels is 267. Wow. And I looked at 2003, and you guys weren't even listed. So Well, fuck, they called Funhouse the worst album ever made. Now it's like five stars or something. Uh, I know it's weird. You know, I, I think that's called uh, revisionism, Tom. But like yeah. I said about me, we we agreed that music you can change your mind, right? Sure. Well, I mean, like that's a, in, in seven in seventeen years, you you made it into the charts. So I mean, 
some people are, are finding about this album. It's probably it's probably the best record I played on, Tom. I paid for it. It was eleven hundred dollars. It would have never happened. It would have been a single album. But Husker Du came to town and did Zen Arcade and d- double album. We were like, "Fuck, let's write some more songs so we can have one." <laughs> so if it wasn't for the Huskers, there wouldn't have been no double nickels on a diamond. Oh, here's another thing I can clip. The title is about driving exactly 55 miles an hour. Uh, D. Boom was upset with Sammy Hagar's song, I Can't Drive 55. He says he's going to drive crazy and make fucking safe music. We're going to drive safe and make crazy music. <laughs> so th- we were making fun because we. it wasn't like Zen Arcade where they wrote all these songs about a concept, this kid in a... Uh, video arcade we we had to put it together right because we already had one record done <laughs> so we had to make up this concept so part of it was like yeah fuck you sammy hagar and the other part was uh uh Amagama from pink floyd where each guy had a quarter of a record for his solo stuff like we had a solo song on there Mine was called Take 5D. D said, D Boom would say my words were too spacey, so I used a landlady's note about the fucking shower leaking. And then Georgie did one about uh, uh, oil cans. And, you know, in those days, we were making records every seven, nine months because you made records to tell people about gigs. It was exactly opposite of the, the big racket. And so we didn't think about this was going to be our best record, but it was. Yeah, well, I'm pretty biased. I think they're all pretty good. Uh, you know, there was, I watched that documentary that came out, and I had this idea. You're talking with Jamie Connell. Yeah. If if I had money, like money in the pocket, I want to do the tell the Minuteman story like an after-school special. I want to do, <laughs> like, five episodes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah. yeah. Because, you know those guys, Tim, uh, Keith Sharon and Tim Irwin made that. And uh, actually, there would have been no third opera, a hyphenated man, without them doing it. They were too young. They never got to see the Minutemen. So them making that documentary was their way of learning about the Minutemen. They only knew Firehose. And then, because of that, you know, it was 2005, 2004 when they're making it, five it comes out. And they uh, asked me, to talk about the records. Now, I could not listen to Minutemen after D. Boone got killed. Too sad. But then I had to listen to that stuff if I was going to talk about it for their documentary. So when I started listening, I got kind of fucking into it. I was like, man, I want to do this kind of music again. I like this little thing with no filler. You know, just to the point and then you're done. Mm-hmm. Even though we got the idea from Wire, it, it, I, I still like the idea. So when it came to time to, uh, I want to do the third opera, I, I did it in thir- 30 parts. And they were, it was like a minute. I was imagining a Minuteman gig, all these little parts to make one big song. So I got a, but in a way you watch that documentary and it's a bunch of uh, other musicians saying how good we are. It's kind of embarrassing, but I do think we, one good thing they talk about, uh, they talked to my ma. We talk about De Boone's ma, Georgie's ma. The ma's were very important. I like that. That's my favorite part of the documentary. Yeah, they were encouraging. I mean, and in some ways, that, I mean, big time. D, D Boone's mom was like, "You guys have a band. At least I know what you're doing." And yeah, yeah, and uh, you're, you're George Hurley's ma lets us prack in the shed. You know, my ma let D Boone live 
when I had my knee surgeries and we both had to live with her, all the Ma's supported the Minutemen for, you know, brief parts of time. They all helped out, which is, uh, you know, you got to be, I, I like the way the documentary does that. They don't say it was a manager or an, or an A&R man. It was these guys' Ma. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, you know, it's weird. Like, there was one part of the documentary where you guys are getting, uh, you, you guys were getting spit on and you were. Oh, you know, yeah, a bunch. But that happened to me. After Minutemen, after Fire O's even, in the 90s. <laughs> Opening for Primus. Nels Klein getting hurt with dirt clods from backward baseball hat motherfuckers with a shirt off. They don't understand we're only opening up because you know, the Primus guys asked us to. We're not like foisted. And then Larry and uh, Les would come out and play with us and they'd be like, oh. but man, I've been hit with all kinds of shit. Not just spitting. Spitting's lame because you got to play your instrument and you can't guard your mouth, so it flies yeah. in there. But sacks of shit, sacks of puke, cups of piss, used condoms. I wow. thought the power went off once in Vienna and it came back on, and I got ten or twelve used rubbers stuck all over. I started laughing. Somebody worked at that. Yeah, they planned in advance. Now, I tell you, the worst, the worst batteries. Fuck, they hurt. Like, oh, oh, like small, like, double-A uh, batteries and stuff? No, Ds. What? <laughs> yeah, get hit in yeah. the chest with one of those motherfuckers. Yeah. Full well, beers, you, you also, too. You can't even see it coming, you know, because it's dark, normally. Yeah. Well, yeah, and it just hits you. You know, you're playing, yeah, the lights are in your eye, you don't know. It, it's, yeah, getting hit with shit. It happened to us in front of Primus, Beastie Boys, Black Flag, all kinds of different bands, you know. Uh, we just thought it was kind of the way it was. It, it was usually in a situation where you're opening up and they don't want to see you. They, the, I, we didn't pay to see you, in a way, yeah. is what they were saying. <laughs> but other dudes would tell me, uh, yeah, the REM guys, they would just boo. They didn't throw shit. But then I would meet guys years later. Yeah, I was part of those asshole jocks yelling at you. But you know what? I changed my mind. <laughs> so you never yeah. know. You never know. You know, just a chance to get up in front of people and present some art. That's a good fucking opportunity. But, man, it is a dice throw. They might not like it. Yeah. Yeah. I always would go to the bar and just drink and wait to the new band. You know what I'm saying? Like... I'll just, you know, drink more and, and chill out and wait. Well, what well, gets me right. is people who put together shows, they'll get opening bands that sound like the headliner. That's stupid. Yeah, they do that now all the time. Yeah. Maybe you, it's good to have, like, variety or difference, you know? I don't know. Yeah. I told you in the older days there was a lot of that shit. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I wanted to talk. I, I love Iggy Pop and the Stooges. I just have one question, more or less is you know, when you hopped in there and played bass, uh, it was at a time where they were uh, considered, uh, they were working big venues, large, loving crowds. Uh, no. They were, no. There was like a wave, no? Wave no, 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 no. I, see, you're confusing things. Ig always called it the Stooges. I know Rob Power says Iggy in the Stooges, but he always called it the Stooges. And... Him and Ronnie, the guitar man, hadn't talked in 29 years when I started playing with him. 
They had not been a band. Yeah, they had been Stooges since Metallic KO, 1974. Okay, now it kept charging hard with his solo career. Uh, you know, uh, The Passenger and Lust for Life, right? Kill City. Love Kill City. Kill City's great album. Right, right. That's actually was like kind of a demo that he made with James yeah. Williamson. But he went yeah, he... totally on his own later, you know. Yeah, I like The Idiot too. Uh, be- beautiful thing, those, those early ones. But later, I'm talking more like, uh, you know, Bad Little Doggy and... American Caesar. I mean, you know, he kept making records, and finally, Skull. You know, well, what had happened was, me and Jay Maskus started playing with the Ashton Brothers, and Ig heard about this, and so he asked them to play on Skull Ring. That's why Coachella 2003 happened, and why I ended up doing 125 months with them. I never stooge. I was just a helper man, you know. Yeah. Okay. The, those guys are 11 years older. I was finally the youngest guy in the band. But I tell you this, Tom, without Stooges, there would have been no punk movement. That band was very important to our movement. And when they were doing that stuff in the 60s, they didn't even have that word yet, right? They were just doing rock and roll. And mm-hmm. uh, you listen to Funhouse, it sounds like it could have been recorded next week. Yeah. It don't sound yeah, like yeah. 1970. So... Yeah, I love... They're way ahead of their time, but there was a big breakdown uh, between the guys in the band. And Scotty would tell me he would always ask Ig for a reunion, but Ig kept saying no, no, no. But then when Jay Maskus asked Scotty, well, Scotty later, but Ronnie at first to come, because I was helping Jay. After Portal for Pyros, the next guys I helped was Jay Maskus in the fog when Jay put Dinosaur away. And did that. And we were in, in Ann Arbor. He says, you know, Ronnie, because I had done a movie soundtrack with him for Velvet Goldmine in 1996. And uh, Steve Shelley played the drums because he's from Michigan, too, Midland. And, uh, yeah, that was, you know, Ronnie would come to my Minutemen shows and shit. I'd see him at St. Andrew, Greektown, Detroit. And the Colonel would bring him with Niagara and... So so I kind of knew him, you know, and then I played with him. So, yeah, call him up. So I called him, and then Jay says, come on tour with us. We'll do two-thirds of my songs, and then we'll do the rest Stooges. And then wow. we got we that. got Scotty in there uh, for uh, All Tomorrow's Party that Thurston was create, uh, curating. And then uh, we start doing some Europe gigs, and Ig heard about it. So he asked Scotty and Ronnie to be on Skull Ring. And then Coachella, 2003, it was going to be a one-off gig. And Ronnie is the guy who got me in the band. I didn't jump on. I was asked. I remember the call. I was in with my second man in Tallahassee. I think it was the second cow house after Soundcheck. And it's Ig on the fucking phone. And he goes, I, I pick it up at the bar there. And he says, Ronnie says, you're the man. And I, I couldn't fucking believe it. I said, what? He said, yeah. He said, will you do me a favor? I said, what? He said, would you wear a T-shirt instead of a flannel? I said, fuck yeah. That's <laughs> fucking John Fogarty's idea anyway. Mm-hmm. And then he talked to me all about stage lighting, and he had some nightmares about the drummer and bright orange and the bass player and bright green. and whatever. But whatever. It finally gets to the music. He goes, look, however we end the songs, that's how we're going to end them. And like, I, what? You know, then it's click. And so two weeks later, I leave my guys in Memphis, and I fly out to Cali in Hollywood. We practice the day before the Coachella gig. And the first album songs 
half of them fade out. So that's what he was talking about. I realized. Now, I got sick on the plane ride. But I didn't want to let them know. You know, it felt like a 20-foot pool cue was up my yang, man. But I just, you know, shivers and all that shit. But didn't let them know. And then the gig came on. And that fucking gig blew that sickness out. I went back. I rejoined my guys in Raleigh and played 35 straight gigs. And then it wasn't a one-off. It turned into 125 months. Yeah. Playing with the but Stooges. I, it so was like they, going did, It was like they, going to the fucking well, man. You know how many things are second, third, fourth hand? I'm going, I get to talk. Ronnie, you'd say, I feel like the blues man on the porch. <laughs> you know what I mean? We, I, I got to be right there. My ears, Tom, were the size of fucking elephant and sponges, man, just soaking shit up. Did they get along? Like during that that, that Absolutely. Tour? They love playing together again. Yeah. I mean, yeah. like, this is a, their back. Like, here, you're on stage with them. Yeah. And the, crowd, the crowd's not fighting them. The crowd is loving no. them. Well, there's nobody their age. The crowd yeah. is young people. They want to know where this punk music came from. Uh -huh. It wasn't an oldies act. It was trippy. It wasn't playing for people their age. Or even my age. Yeah. It was younger people, man. And fucking Ig knows how to bring it. Ig never stopped, you know. Never right. stopped. And he can work the room. That guy's got a work ethic the size of fucking Balmore. Yeah. Yeah, he couldn't wear a flannel. He'd, he'd pass out with all that energy. Sure, it'd be on maybe half a song, <laughs> and then it's in my face when he throws it off. <laughs> uh, he was always, all of them were very kind to me. And they're really interesting people, man. Stooges sound like idiots, right? But Ig about culture, Ronnie about history, Scotty about nature, Brother Steve about politics. And these cats, they were beautiful to be with. Like I said, I never had older brothers, you know. It, it was really incredible. And I felt like I owed them my best notes. I would focus. Because it was kind of tough in a way, Tom. Because, God, you've been listening to this shit your whole life. And now you got to help make it happen. So yeah. you, you couldn't get lost in it. You had to, like, you know. And Ig, Ig has this weird duality where he's totally wild, man. But then he hears every fucking note. At, we'd have these debriefings after the gig. Hey, Mike, I'm going to call you on the end of that. Uh, he, <laughs> you know, you're a little. Roddy, what's that lick there? Yeah, okay. You got that, Mike? <laughs> it was beautiful, man. What what, what? most righteous classroom. Just beautiful. Just incredible. Yeah, incredible. yeah, that's great. And I, just a wave of adulation every time that they played like people were like like uh after <clears throat> and usually after 1969 it. with ronnie he would mm -hmm. tell the crowd we're the fucking stooges he never said you know inky in the stooges we're the fucking stooges and then he would introduce to everybody you know rock action ron ashton you know steve mckay and then from pedro <laughs> from the minute we call me the minute man man they always showed me gigantic respect they were beautiful cats. I was not like just a little side mouse with them. They were so kind to me. Uh, I remember when finally five times they were nominated to the Hall of Lame and they finally made the last one. And Scotty on the, on the podium, he says, Mike wasn't a stooge, but he could have been one. It just They were just beautiful to me, Tom. They really were. Yeah. That's awesome. It really is. And Ronnie I, said to uh, me once, you know, I would stay with Ronnie, you know, Mike, you're a good sailor. 
He'd roll me over, drink too much Jim Beam, you know, roll me over so I don't choke on a puke. <laughs> You're a good sailor, Mike. <laughs> um, all right, so we're getting into this John Coltrane thing. All right. Uh, okay. You, you, like, this is what I did. I listened to every episode of January, and I started writing down like Coltrane songs that I loved. And then I stopped because it was getting to be too many, you know, it was, I got 500, you, 500 of them on my iPod. You've got the drum song on the on drum the thing, the drum thing. Yeah. Oh my God. It's so good. And then my little Brown book he had with Duke. Well, yeah, that, that records. Yeah. Interesting. They trade rhythm sections. And uh, then you had walk in. With yep. the, in live, live well, you know, poppers they would take old standards and then reinvent them, you know, so what what um, what's up with John Coltrane? Why uh, why is he on your uh, your playlist, and what what do you think about him? Well, I start every show. Now I, I'll be honest. From show you, one, I start every show. I, I can I can handle Coltrane up until the the trippier stuff, and I've never you know got into like the Cecil Taylor art of no, uh, art of uh, art of noise art, art of. There was a band uh, called that. I remember. Yeah, well, I don't. I'm, not, I'm talking about the. Uh, they the, weren't uh, too noisy. <laughs> they yeah, were called they were the too, Art of They kind of wave. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm just saying, like he got he he got really into like. Uh, they called it sheets. He called it sheets of sound. Yeah, and I I, I respect it, but I, I you know it's hard to listen to. So I'm trying to figure out like, is there a time period of his that you like or? I like it all, uh, but I really got into him. Now I didn't know him until I met Pettibone. Pettibone played, you know, in the punk movement in Hollywood in the 70s, incredibly deep music people. They're weirdos and stuff. You could tell how they didn't fit into society. But they were deep into music, man. And Pettibone played me Ascension. I thought this was a punk rocker. I knew he was older. I didn't know he was dead. You know, I grew up Mm -hmm. in Navy housing, just like with the fucking flannels. I didn't know what that shit was. (laughs) You know, so I thought he was a, you know... You see a germs gig, you hear Ascension, you think it's kind of in the same ballpark. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, his, his whole thing about notes are... Uh, he's a, he's into know. emotion. Yeah, he's into feeling. Spiritual. Yeah, yeah. Because, you know, I think because he was so much into practice and stuff, it would lead to one thing to another. He would, you know, want to investigate. It was like peeling a fucking onion. So I like it all. I don't expect everybody else to like it all. It just, he said, you know, I also collected a lot of the recordings of his interviews. Now he's from Hamlet, right? Born in Hamlet, grew up in High Point. And then as he lost his father and his grandfather, so he had to move up to Philadelphia. But he's a North Carolina guy. So to hear his voice in a way is kind of trippy. Uh, But it gives it a human thing. And one of the things... In one of those interviews, he says, I think musicians are after some kind of truth. And I just love that, Tom. Mm. I just love that idea. And one time, this interview in Japan, the guy asked him, what's your definition of classical music? He says, now, look, I could be wrong, but I think that's where you sit down to hear it. (laughs) I just like the way he wasn't so fucking high and mighty. He had this humility. Yeah. You look at the pictures of him. Look at his eyes. And I, I got an interview with Alice, second wife. She says he never fired, never scissored anybody. They knew when it was time to leave the band. There's just something about that. 
that I think he brought to music uh, some interesting qualities. Uh, so those are things maybe people can't know by just hearing his sounds and his investigations and explorations. But I kind of know this on the side. And he just opened me up. He was the, one of the guys, well, Raymond for sure, by playing me all kinds of stuff, taking me to Ema Sumac. I mean, all kinds of shit. Little Jimmy Scott, you know. These helped get rid of the Berlin walls of genre in my mind, and music could just be music. Uh huh. Yeah. So that's where, that's, like, that's wow, where it gets down. <laughs> that guy a was a trip. Brain. That guy was a trip. So was Al, 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 Blind Al Hibbler. All these cats. Raymond knew about all these kind of really unique, uh, stylized guys, you know, that never went in with the Mersh, went in with the fucking lowest common denominator. They said, hey, I'm a little different. Let's celebrate it. Yeah. That's I Raymond a, Pettibone. A Raymond Pettibone, a huge influence on my life. When I lived in uh, Philadelphia, um, I had a house, and I would drive past... 33rd Straw Street, 33rd yeah. Street, by the Straw zoo. Strawberry Mansion, yeah. It was, uh, they had a sign out there that said Coltrane House. And yeah, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. It got knocked down by a car, and they put it up. Some dude was doing, I always take my bands up there. There was a club there for a while, North Star Bar. Oh, yeah, yeah, I used to work there. Okay, okay. Yeah, I had the uh -huh. piss troughs. They weren't in, in an operation, but... You know, uh -huh. where you never had to go to the head, you could piss right there at the bar. Tijuana was big with that shit. But anyway, I went up there, and one of the work guys gave me a piece of, I got a piece of the brick from that pad in my, and I didn't ask for it. The guy gave uh -huh. it to me. It's tiny, uh, and it's in my boat. Are you talking about the North Star? Well, that got knocked down. No, I'm talking about John Coltrane. No, they were restoring John Coltrane's house. That's the one, and Cousin Mary lived in there after he left, because yeah. he went and yeah. got a house on Long Island in Dix Hills with Alice. Well, my dream was, okay, I was going to buy, I like told people, I said, let's buy the Coltrane house, then buy the house beside it. And then the, the building right beside that is like a, a car repair shop. I said, we need to um, turn that car repair shop into like a juke joint and blow out the side of the building beside it. So you have Coltrane's house and then you have this big, you know, like kind of indoor, outdoor, blues, funk, jazz place. Well, you know, C and, Cousin Mary in the late 90s, early 2000s had gigs in the backyard. Get out. Yeah. She, she sold, I think she sold it. Well, it yeah, she passed away, too. She passed away. You know, he's got a song, right? That's Cousin Mary. And he said he was really particular about his eggs. He really liked a sweet potato pie. Never wore shoes in the house. Like me. <laughs> you know, Cousin Mary's a trip. I read some interviews on her. John Coltrane grew up around a lot of women. Like I said, he lost his daddy, his grandfather, and they were like ministers and political guys. John uh -huh. Coltrane, yeah, he went saw Ma Malcolm X speak once. I mean, he wasn't overt or anything, but he liked about learning stuff. He read Albert Einstein. Interesting well, guy. Yeah. Only made it to 40 years old. I went to his grave. Pine Lawn. You could take the train underneath uh, Masson Square Garden, Rhode Island, not Rhode Island, Long Island Railroad. Pine Lawn is the. It's right next to Dix Hills. And first time I couldn't find him. There's thousands of graves. <laughs> Second time I yeah. asked the gardener, and he's in the Garden of Sanctuary. And it was a twofer. At that time Alice was still alive, so it was 
make, being ready for. But he only made it to forty years old. Yeah, well, he had that liver. He had that heroin. He did heroin for ten years, but he quit that Thirty Third Street house he bought with his GI money for being a sailor. And when he, when Miles kicks him out of the band for nodding, and then Thelonious Monk lets him play with him for nine months, that's where he quits upstairs in that pad, locked himself away two weeks. And that's what Love Supreme's about. He wrote that at Dix Hill's house. But that's a thank you prayer. He even spells out the prayer in the, in the piece uh, for getting him off the shit. Wow. So, wow, he was on heroin almost to the end then. No, no, no. Ten like, years. Like, From 20 to 30. Yeah. 20 to 30. Mm-hmm. He he quit the shit when, when I was born, 1957. And he dies in... Uh, he died on Ronnie's birthday, 1967, July 17th, born September 23rd. I, I really got into John Coltrane. I don't know why. I just, I got this thing called The Reference. It's got every gig and recording he made. It cost me 175 bucks. I've never <laughs> spent that much on a book. But mm-hmm. uh, I'll tell you, the pants shitter was last year, Henry Kaiser asking me to do Love Supreme and Meditations, the two big suites. I said, no, man, he... The ball's out. You know, he talked me into it. I still haven't listened to it. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's oh, scary. You did do it. I did do it. I ended up doing it. Henry's a beautiful guy. And the drummer man, John Hanneran, and uh, Nels' buddies, uh, Wayne Pete was on the organ, and Vinny uh, Galia uh, did the uh, reeds. One day of practice, then one gig at McCabe's, and then we recorded it. Total pants shitter. Fuck. I, I shit a pecan log. <laughs> so is, is there anyone like you're listening to right now that that you you think it's amazing i tell you they're that cat from your town door and i had him on my show yeah you know this guy brother evan lebson he's part of this free music thing you know stuff nails klein tried to get happening here so long and kind of what John Coltrane, Sun Ron, these people kind of started, right? Ornette Coleman. And uh, I've had a lot of guests. So people like uh, Jack Wright and uh, Bob Marsh, guy from Pueblo, Colorado. You know, guys I'm just getting turned on to. This, this, uh, Bob Marsh called it jumping away from the pole. This idea of free music, you know. I just did a proj with one, one of my guests. Where I said, just send me drums and I'll play to it like you were in the room for the first time. Like we were doing a free gig. And now it's going to come out next month. Yeah, it's not all the bad new days. You can actually use the internet to trade files and collaborate with people. And so they're doing it all the time. Yeah, yeah. I've, fuck, I've made like buttloads of albums with dudes I never even met. It's incredible, (laughs) you know. But uh, stuff right now that's really happening. I, I got to see my favorite record right now of people that are right now, right? Not an old record. Yeah. It's Nottingham, England band called Sleaford Mods. Sleaford Mods. It's to one guy spieling and one guy makes beats. And that's all it is. So it's kind of a rap band, but it's their own way. And I, I don't know. This guy has a good way of, well, both of them, of putting together things. Right now, that's my favorite. But that yeah, door what, guy, it's spelled S-L-E-A-F-O-R-D, next word, mods, M-O-D-S. Sleaford Mods. And their new album's what called, they, 
The new album's called Spare Ribs. It's good. Spare ribs. Fucking bitch. The one, the one thing that's good about your show is that it it proves that you know there people are always like, oh, the music's terrible these days. Blah, blah, Bullshit. Blah. What's on, what's on the radio is terrible. But what but, but like that's always been right, Tom. I, if you went to any period, when I think back of being a boy, there was bullshit. There was good shit. Oh, yeah. Little Definitely. Richard sold more fucking Tutti Fruities than fucking Little Richard, right? Uh, Pat Boone sold way more. And that was 1955. I mean, this shit's been co-opting shit and making lame out of it. It's been going on a long time. Have you ever heard Pat Boone's Tutti Fruity? I mean, that thing's terrible. Yeah, it's embarrassing. But how'd it sell more? <laughs> I just interviewed a guy who sounds like like a like Pat Boone. Like, like he's a and why is Chuck student. Berry's biggest hit dingling? Why is it Roll Over Beethoven or Johnny Be Good? It's just the way humans are. We can be like herd animals and really boring, or we can be fucking pioneer trailblazer rock rock and rollers. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Well, I th- but I don't I think, think it's a, I don't it. think it's a new phenomena. I think it's always been the dilemma of being human. You can be fucking lame ass, tired, because it's laziness, right? It's trying to, oh, I want them to like me ahead of time. So you try to uh, pander, right? Notice there's no programs yet that can write hit songs or make hit movies. Not saying that those things are uh, such a metric on fucking happening. Who wants to see another comic book fucking movie? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, so <laughs> you know, the majority rules for elections, okay, but not for fucking art. <laughs> I think you yeah. got to be, yeah, you got to trust your sensibilities and be a little adventurous. Yeah, that's what, what's so great about your your show. This, you did that for me because I, I guess I was in a rut. When I do my interviews, I look for artists that, are either up or coming that are not would, would be something that would be playing on the radio. I want my audience to be challenged. I want I want them to think about music. I love that, Tom. I love there's cats yeah. like you out there. Yeah, I don't want to do wallpaper and and uh, well, know, we already got about ten billion dudes doing. It. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're right. Uh, you know, but it's see, misleading. See, it's, yeah, yeah, but you, Tom, you see, you're getting your fucking. Right? Evidence to make your decision on real life shit. You're not like trying to cook this up in some boiler room on how to fucking defraud people. (laughs) Yeah. Right? right. There's a lot of jive bum rush, right? Well, it must be going on forever. I mean, Iggy in his documentary said that the Stooges should have been on the radio, but they changed it to like a 70s, like easy listening format that. That someone made that decision, and that's the way they were going in the early 70s. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I'd, I'd agree and, and, with uh, them. I mean, the powers that be are always going to try to hold sway. Yeah. Yeah? Well, that's that's worth, a human thing. That goes way back. And if it's it does get popular, enough. what do you do? You dilute it and co-opt it. Uh, I agree. You make 20 versions of it. But then, here's another little fucking aphorism, Tom. Farmer, will you tell you if you want a good crop, use a lot of manure? So I said, bring it, motherfuckers. <laughs> right? That's the way nature works. Yeah. Mike, do you do any drugs at all? 
I smoke mota at nighttime before I come. It's so weird how, well, you were in, in L.A. That, that, well, the West that, Coast, you know, so same with yeah. the Washington State and Oregon. It's funny how... I like, thought that would have never happened, case. okay? I've been smoking yeah. since I was 12, and I ain't mm-hmm. hooked yet. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> do you ever do gummies, or do you ever do, like, any of the liquid or, or uh, anything like that? I did L, and I think the last time I did L was Einstein's and Neubauten in the desert in 1983. Uh, I had I had a weird fucking uh, struggle bout with methamphetamine. Uh, t- uh, terrible experience. But uh, uh, some uh, with alcohol, but uh, with music, especially, never let it get in in the way. I don't. I ne- not even yeah. Mota. Never played on Mota. Yeah, I can't. I can't uh, hear time. I can't hear pitch. No, no, alcohol. Uh-huh. Yeah, when it came to music, I always was straight. But I had some challenges There's... with alcohol, methamphetamine. The L, I wouldn't say, was, it was more like uh, personally exploration. I'm glad I did that yeah. stuff. Uh, yeah, because, you know, it lasted a long time, like a day or two, right? And you think about things really hard. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, the, you know, I couldn't the, uh... do it for a lifetime thing. And then I never... Uh, uh, I don't know. Never operated the base or, or a vehicle. You know, I got arrested once for drunk driving. You know, that was enough. Went to jail. Uh, and, and that was stupid anyway. I could have killed somebody, right? I could have wrecked into somebody. So I don't know how There's much you want to pe- talk about that stuff. But. There's a lot of people who are doing microdosing, you know, of, of uh, like, like a, like a, a LSD version, like a really small dose during the day like just really small amounts so they're not really high but they're they have that like continual buzz and now i'm listening to a lot of like self-help uh you know podcasts about living right and they're all doing it and and i was like wait a minute where do we get to that point well Um, you know yeah psychedelic mushroom mushroom L, L. It's like it's, I, I don't it's think that micro- stuff is is, is 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 like methamphetamine or alcohol. Oh, meth is completely different. <laughs> well, it's a droga though, but it's a droga. <laughs> what I'm saying is, some drogas, I think, are more therapeutic than other ones. Yeah, the 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 problem. I don't think meth methamphetamine is, is too therapeutic. <laughs> yeah. You meth. If you drink all night and you do, you know, some meth, all of a sudden you're like sober, or you think you're sober. Yeah, because it, then, it blocks receptors that are telling you you're tired. But your yeah, methamphetamine no has no energy. It's just blocking tired receptors. Oh, okay. So you're so running your we... body ragged. That's why, you know, your face looks like a fucking catcher mitt at 40 years old. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, at least you like you look you know good for your age. So well, you, yeah, you yeah, able... I didn't. It wasn't that long of a shift. <laughs> <laughs> but it was a night, it was, you know, when I look back, and also, I didn't do the thing about staying up three or four days. I made myself still conk. Yeah. So, because yeah, that's right. real damage, too. You need conk because, uh, uh, for mental health. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That, that, that's like the one number one thing. Get yeah. some sleep. Well, yeah. it's also a bad poison, too, the shit they make that fucking shit with. But it's the not sleeping is really uh, bad for your health, uh, mental health. 
Yeah, I agree. Yeah. You so know, my, the nickname of this town there. here is Speedrow, right? <laughs> I know about a working town, right? So that's why I kind of fell into that stuff. And uh, it's it's not happening. It seduces you. Oh, I could do some more work. But you don't do good work. And you can't think straight. Your mind is in wheels and spinning and spinning. And, and ah, so, so glad yeah, to be away from that. Yeah. I bet you're now, like, if when you're tired, you're tired. Like, you listen to your body and say, I'm Actually, tired, tired is a gift. Yeah. Because life, like, I've learned, Tom, it's just like having your own band or being a sideman and helping the Stooges. It's about taking turns. Even at the basic level, inhale, exhale. You can't always inhale. If you're always the boss, you're not going to learn everything. If you're always awake, yeah. See, we got to get rid you know, why does a dog lick its balls? Because he can. So we got these fucks and maximalist ways of thinking that are just out of uh, sync with the reality on the dealio. Uh -huh. I believe. Sometimes. Do you, do you have, like, cable? Do you watch cable TV? I got rid of it about it? five years ago. It was 120 mm -hmm. months for fucking 500 channels I didn't watch. So what I do is I got to have internet anyway. So I got a TV that can get the Wi-Fi and I watch YouTube.com. <laughs> you know how many documentaries and shit's on there? And oh, no, it's great, isn't it? If, if, I, if you could do a Desert Island disc, I would say, give me a YouTube, I'd be fine. You know what I mean? There's all those kind of... Here's what happened when I was a boy in upstate New York. My mom bought a World Book Encyclopedia from a door-to-door -door salesman. And I started with A. I was like six or five years old and it started with a right and yeah you didn't have the hyperlink yet but i'm i, I was on the way just i said you know why not get the disease of curiosity yeah and the so other it, shit was the other shit pawn shop it's killing time this is bullshit it was pedro you made it sound very country at the time when you were being raised there I looked at some pictures before I called you. It looks very contemporary, and it looks busy. It's the biggest harbor in the United States now. But now, it wasn't like that when you were When I came there, there because there was, I came here because my pop was a machinist mate in the Navy, engine room guy. And the, if you look on a map, Pedro's a lot closer to Vietnam than Virginia. So P, the base, there was a Navy base here. We were fighting a war. That war ends, the container, which was actually invented in New Jersey, Sealand, a guy named McMillan, McMillan, and then Mao Zedong dies and China's open for business. So the harbor changes from a Navy base into container terminal, and it's pretty industrialized. All that Asia trade comes through here, big cam boats. My second men are both longshoremen, guys who uh, load and unload those boats. It's the main work here, but it's it, yeah. it's it's it was barren because there was a lot of refineries here and stuff. Uh, but it's pretty industrial. But there is still nature because we're at the end of the coast, right? Los Angeles ends, Western Avenue ends, right? That street that goes all through L.A. ends in Pedro because we're the most south point. Politically, we're part of the city of Los Angeles. They got a fourth street, we got a fourth street, so they said, "Okay, Pedro, you can keep your name." But we're politically part of Los Angeles because that harbor is incredibly uh, 
That's the moneymaker. They want to they keep it that's in the, it. the, the. You know it. So there's like 80. Now, I 80, came here. I came here when I was nine, okay, 1967. So, you know, I remember back, you know, fireflies, crab apples, honeysuckle, cardinals, then sweaty summers, freezing winters. Yeah. <laughs> Look, I can paddle a kayak on New Year's Day. Right, right now it's 75, 76 degrees outside. I got seduced by the weather here. Yeah. So I tore... Yeah. Right? If you call a tour more than a month, I've done 67 of them. But the bungee cord just snaps me back. And I love going back through Virginia and stuff. And all. I, in fact, I love every part of the country. And then the other countries I've played too. They're, every place has got something to teach you. You know, it's interesting. But as far as like calm with the weather, <laughs> this fucking place here. <laughs> and I got bad joints, you know, born with bad knees. And so when it gets that, that damp cold, boy, do I hurt. So we got a dry thing here because it's a desert, right? Yeah. Plus there's mountains. If you want snow, it's there too. I mean, there's some negative stuff too, believe me. Every place got positive and negatives. And like I said, on tour, I get to check out everybody else. What I try to do is go in the spring and fall because that's usually when the seasons are flipping over and you got a little bit of Pedro weather there. <laughs> right? You could be a fucking Gainesville and it's like Pedro. There's no humidity. <laughs> Yeah, Gainesville in the summer is... Oh, my God. Oh, my God. <laughs> Fucking in the summertime. What about Montreal? Beautiful city, but sweatier than a motherfucker. St. Louis. It's not really a north-south thing. It's east of the Rockies thing. Yeah, St. Louis is painful. Ooh. <laughs> Ooh. Yeah, I had a, I had a job offer there, and, and uh, my dad uh, worked there for a while. He goes, look, it is, it is hot as hell. Well, you Burroughs from he is painfully cold in the winter. Yeah, yeah. The Midwest yeah. people are strong. <laughs> They're strong yeah. people. Yeah, because they got the best of both worlds. That sweaty-ass yeah. summer and then freezing-ass Chicago, oh my God. So I got spoiled, I got to say, Tom. Yeah, you've been there. Have you had that house? i got to let you go. because Not, I not a house. Apartment. It's an apartment. Uh, have you... Did you want a house, or you didn't want to be buying? No, it costs a lot of money. Well, you've been there since 1967. <laughs> yeah, but come on, I lived in Navy housing then. I'm uh, from working class you, people. Are, I'm not from big money, you know. And trying you know, to trying to make a living at music, you got to live econo unless you win the fucking sucker boy lotto. I was going to ask you if if you were financially sound because. Uh, I always freak out about Billy Zoom from X, where he had all his health scares and he did, couldn't afford to pay his bills, and that that shocked me. I thought they were they were you know yeah, but he's got a house in Orange County. He's raising a family. Different thing than Watt. Watt's man alone okay. in an apartment. Uh, Bones, you know, I save because when you live econo, you learn the right. You learn these skills <laughs> as a kid, right? One of the questions yeah. I ask on my show is, what was the first record you bought with your own money? Because when you're a kid, you ain't got a lot of money. We yeah. we learned to lose those skills, but it, it, not if you're a bass player. <laughs> and if you want to keep doing it for a living. You know, it's, it's a weird racket. Yeah, it is. Well, I mean, 
you know, you're still in demand and I'm sure you're busy, but you're definitely pumping out the, the, the radio show now. Okay. Do you have anything coming up? Like, well, I've been collaborating like break? crazy with different people. Okay. But no gigs planned yet. No, but there's, look, we got to get the vaccines in the arms. It's going to happen. Yeah. I never said canceled. Yeah. I always said postponed. Yeah. Yeah. It was Think about weird. those guys. Um, Think about those guys, Tom that were fucking 18 years old in 1941 with Pearl Harbor. I think people are a little fucking soft. You know, a lot of generations get handed really big challenges. The Stooges guys, okay, being with them, and them talking to me about having to uh, get all fucked up and pretend, uh, you're, you know, you're, you're, you're not suited for the Army getting a letter from the psychiatrist because they're going to draft you and send you to Vietnam. People are a little soft crying about being bored. This is a fucking, my, my, yeah, yeah. So I'm, I'm going to get off the high chair about this shit, okay? But I, I don't want to sit on my hands. Music is a lifeline, so I'm, I'm, I'm purely into it now, right? right. But not gig-wise, but hopefully. When, when someone uh, tells me they're bored, I just say, you don't have any imagination. Yeah. I said, yeah, like, you can't figure out what to do. I don't, I don't have the TV on. Motherfuckers kicking time. down your door and say, hey, there's a new boss in town. How'd you like that shit, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, we, this virus is terrible. It killed my aunt, you know, and, and some musician friends of mine. And, and we got to be careful and stuff. But some ch generations had way more horrible challenges than us. So I'm not saying, you know, you know, get out of touch with your feelings and stuff. But also... Get the big picture because things could be, and who knows if another motherfucking thing's going to come, you know? Maybe we were lucky for a hundred years not to have one. I'll tell you what's the a trip. Economy. I'll tell you the weirdest kind of coincidence, though, Tom. The last tour I did was the fall of 2019, and I was fucking sick. It ended on November 1st. At 45 gigs, 45 days. No days off. I drove every fucking mile, 13,380 miles. I, and I said, I'm not going to get sick this tour. So I wouldn't shake people's hands. And people were getting uh -huh. pissed off at me for giving them elbow and shit. And sure enough, I didn't get sick. But I had no idea that the next month was this shit, okay? But there's something about uh, infecting each other. When you're driving, like, does that, you, your knees already are, or you said they were already fucked up. Yeah, I'm born with does it, that. It's called, that same thing that Ig, Ig's got the same thing. It's called Osgood Schlatter. When you're growing up, it's a genetic thing. Some parts of your body grow at different speeds than other parts. And then in the knee, it really fucks up with the patella, with the kneecap. Underneath the kneecap? Well, just the kneecap is uh, tied on in different areas. So if the bones grow at the wrong speed a big old gap opens up and, and it's easy for it to dislocate and you have weakness oh wow yeah so i had to have surgeries uh surgeries in my early 20s to try to correct it the uh condo life is the way it's going now these days like um <laughs> the pe people were are scaling down well they realize that what's important you know collecting Stuff is not as important as just that's right. Shit hoard. We, I think even Jim Morrison, right? Shit hoarders and admirals, shit hoarding. <laughs> really, really. When you think of like my, when my ma died, 
she died about a year and a half ago. My sister said, no one wants your shit when you're dead. That's right. They'll sell it. They'll move it right out the door. Fuck. Yeah. And I saw it. It'll be right I on, saw it. I saw it right happen, Tom. I, I saw the reality on the dealio. <laughs> but you know, fighter. all this fighter stuff about, th oh, th get this, my neighbor and the other Pat, he told me the, the family Bible was a huge fight. Who was going to get the fucking Bible? <laughs> People are peckers sometimes. Yeah. But then the, the, right, they're Michael. bitching too that okay. sometimes. I don't want to give up on humanity because I met beautiful people. In fact, you sound like a good cat. Yeah. Well, yes, I am. Uh, I'm a Quaker. Like, I uh, have a different viewpoint on stuff. Uh, ben Franklin. But, yeah, Ben Franklin. Yeah. Yeah, um, pretty bitching uh, Masonic Hall he had there in Philly. I've been to it a couple times. Yeah. Yeah, had, the, 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 you know, I read Tommy Pynchon's, Tommy Pynchon wrote a book called Mason and Dixon. And one of them's a Quaker. They didn't believe in slavery and they fought against That's it. That's right. That, that, that place that you saw, they had uh, two rooms, one for men and one for women. Uh, they wouldn't let the women yeah, in they had to gate around it. They've got an auxiliary they, called Eastern Star. I know about that a little bit. And I know that there was a big problem with the Philadelphia guys and the Lancaster guys. Lancaster guys wanted to kill Indians, natives. They weren't really Indians from here. But, yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? Really? Yeah, there was huge village between, because that was the frontier, right? Uh -huh. Lancaster, the middle of the state. <laughs> it's, still the, it's still the frontier. <laughs> <laughs> But it's, but but the uh, the Quakers were a benevolent society. Yeah, the the thing with Lancaster is that everyone's getting poisoned because of all the farmland, of them dumping all the chemicals. That's on right. Years and years. That's and years. Right. We got a place here in Cali called the Salton Sea, and it was destroyed by fertilizer. Yeah, just destroyed. Carolina with about. Uh, North Carolina with the pig farming. Yeah. And then you got that coal ash. Remember the coal ash? Yeah, absolutely. Look, it's nearsightedness. It's short term. Mm. Nobody's looking down the road. They say they're pro kids. Bullshit. They no, just want okay. something to feel <laughs> self-righteous about because the, uh, what's really counts is your behavior, not your fucking spiel. I think. Yeah. Right? The walk, not the talk. Yeah, yeah. Hopefully, you know, things improve. We'll see. Absolutely. You know, I'm an optimist. I'm an optimist. Yeah. I'm on your yeah, side, Tom. Hopefully, hopefully this will, will uh, change things. All right. So I thank you for, for doing this for me. We're about, about an hour and a half. Uh, uh, one hour, 23.52. Yeah, it was good. Um, I, I, my show is more or less like jazz, blues, and R&B. So we were going to focus That's on great stuff. John Coltrane. But yeah. I'm such a fan of, uh, you know, uh, John Coltrane Man. started. John Coltrane started with R and B. You know, in fact, Cleanhead Vincent got him on the uh, tenor. He played alto before that. Yeah, I mean, the these jazz guys, you know, did everything. You know, the fact that I look at these guys like from the past and th their ability to be creative during like like segregation and to 
like really just push the boundaries of, of everything is per- crazy. But I also think of that one thing that's good about Coltrane is that he had tight bands. I mean, they would pra- they would play during the day. They would uh, play because know, and I think he album. learned that he learned that from Miles Davis. Miles Davis knew how to put together groups. He knew he was never going to play as good as Diz. So I'm going to have good. And, you know, some people I'm going to be the. You know the best guy, so I'm gonna have little midgets around me. Miles was saying, "No way, I'm gonna get the best guys in my band." John Coltrane was one of them, and John Coltrane said he learned many things from Miles, and one of it was about getting a good band around you. Get the get that plus be tight, you know. It, That's what I mean um, by good. That's what I meant by good guys who actually play together. Remember, yeah, an ensemble. That, you make an interesting co- conversation. Yeah. These uh, these guys that like are passing tapes around, it's <clears throat> it's a little different than than sitting in the room and, and working things out. Uh, there's there's very few bands anymore. It's always just like a guy with a you know a couple people. Um, you know that that's kind of why I was even asking about the Stooges to see if they were getting along during that time period. Yeah, they totally were. They they really liked playing with each other. You know, it was six and a half years with Ronnie, and then. Uh, the rest with James Williamson and some bad yeah. stuff, you know, stuff that you don't take care of in the past. It will come back. Uh-huh. And it kind of did with James Williamson and Nig a little bit, but still, uh, I really think it was not a, a business, uh, thing. It, you could tell that they really enjoyed playing with each other. Yeah. I love, I still go back to kill city. I, that's, uh, sell your love is like just one of my favorite songs of all time. <laughs> <clears throat> yeah, in awesome. the song, you know, it, yeah. it, it, it's Los Angeles, SoCal. Ig really had bad experiences here. He didn't like, and he, and he never stayed here long. Whenever we would play here, he'd get out as quick as possible. He had some bad experiences here. He lives wow. in Miami, and he has a pad in, in Cayman. And he has a radio yeah. show on the BBC. Really? I wouldn't shit you, Tom. Yeah, you have to check it out. All right, young man, I'll let you go. I thank you very much for this interview. Very uh, welcome. Uh, are you, are, I'm going to make you, this into an MP3 and then send it to you. Do I send you my email or? Don't I already got can, it? Can I get to? Okay, uh, send that. Send the email in a Skype message. You got it. Yeah, you do, you have it. I couldn't find your contact information. Like I, I went around and looked around and I I sent it to. The company that I uh, guess warehouses your your radio show. And Sideworks. he flipped it to you. Yeah, those guys yeah. support. So both yeah. Bofus at mindspring dot com I've had since the early nineties. Okay. Yeah, I do have that one. I have it. I have your email. It's I'll, from a ter- uh, terrible joke. These two guys But Bofus Bofus in that Hank Hank Williams? Well there's this fucking no Basifus you're thinking about the sun. Hank oh. Williams II, right? <laughs> yeah. But but both is, there's these two guys that are dri- riding around and they got a camera and they see these two ladies and hey, you want to take our picture? But first you got to focus. And they go, both us? Now I thought when email started, it was always between two people, you know, both both us. So I used uh-huh. that shitty joke for my handle. <laughs> Truth be told, <laughs> Tom. Truth be told. Yeah. But please uh, send me a Right now with the chat boards, put your email on there. You got it. All right. I really appreciate it. It was fun. Uh, a dream come true. I, I talked to John Doe this year. I ah, to, great. Uh, he he spent time yeah. in Baltimore. 
Oh, yeah, he hated it. Yeah, he, <laughs> he Half of the interview was him telling me why he hated it. Um, and I told him, I said, I said, I moved here because I love John Waters. And, I, and if, if it right. could be any wackier or the same as uh, a John Waters movie, I'm in, you know, and he's like, he goes, they are dumb motherfuckers there. He goes, everyone is stupid. <laughs> I'll tell you so, this. I'll tell you a little tiny John Waters story. I was reading his book, right, where he talks about uh, the, the hitchhiking one. No, this one's all his role models. Like he starts off with uh, uh, who's a, a black singer, R and B singer, uh, Otis Redding. No, 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 no. This guy's still. In fact, this guy's still alive. Uh, he was a big heartthrob to women, but he liked guys. Uh, Freddie Jackson. No, 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 no. <laughs> Luther Vandross. M- Michael. Uh, American music. Remember that band? He had he had a song about this guy's feet. Johnny Mathis. Johnny Mathis. Wow. He's the first okay, one. And Little Richards in there. All kinds of people. You know he got his mustache from Little Richards. So, but anyway, I give when I finish reading the book, I give it to Ig on tour, and he looks at it, and he sees J W, because it's written in John Waters' own hand, right? Mm-hmm. And he goes, Mike. I've been getting Christmas cards every year, and I thought it was fucking James Williamson. He was getting them from John Waters. <laughs> uh, they, they. Uh, I interviewed Chris France from Talking Heads. Drummer man. He talked. Yeah, he talked about getting Christmas cards from John Waters. He, you know who I get a Christmas card from? That's famous. Who's that? Uh, Paul Rubin. Uh, What's his name? Oh, okay. What's his name in uh, uh Rick Oh Pee Wee Herman? That's it. You know. He sends me one every year. <laughs> 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 one time I was on some talk show thing, you know, my, my third out, uh, opera came out and he was the next guest. He goes, What's your what's your address? It's like 10, 11 years ago. And I gave it to him and he's been sending me Christmas cards every year. <laughs> Are they Pee Wee Herman? Or yeah, it's like him, angels? like with the snowman or some shit. <laughs> but he'll sign him, Paul. But it's him in the picture. That oh, character, cool. the character. Uh, you're a big deal. John Doe was a big deal. Chris France was a big deal. Uh, and you know, He just did that book, right? He did the book about being married. It, yeah, yeah. He He talked about New York a lot. He said everyone was complaining that you know, he was talking about the CBGBs and he was talking about the scene and how, you know, he spent most of the book talking about, you know, them in the early days. And and uh, people were really upset. They said they were spending too much time in New York. And I said, no, I, I actually want uh, New York. There's going to be movies about that time period of, of all those artists that were hanging out, you know, at that time, like when it was a dangerous city. You know, uh, of course. I. I it's, it's, but it seems it's not, it's, it seems a lot of stuff I read with Chris, they want to talk about David. Yeah, well, he didn't want to talk about David. Yeah, I can, like, I can imagine. Yeah. <laughs> I can imagine. He had, he, had, he had enough about David. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. But it seems like every time, and, and same with Tina. You see it. Although there's a great BBC thing where Tina talks about bass. Uh-huh. It's great. Yeah. It's, it's a great show. Her, her ba- I think her bass playing is awesome. What do you, what do you think of her bass playing? I, uh, I really like it. It's it's pneumatic. It pumps up. Her parts are really econo, but they're in the smart place. You know, bass, 
because of the big wavelengths, if you play too many notes, it gets too tiny. You got to pick the right notes. It's not the most yeah. notes like guitar or piano. Yeah. So, and she's she's really smart about the her note choices. Yeah, yeah that's funny because uh, a couple other people said the same thing. Like what she said, pl playing is not complicated, but it's perfect for what it is. Look, you got to aid and abet the tune, right? Even if you're the lead guitar guy, at the end of the day, it's all one sound coming out of the speaker, the tune. Yeah. Yeah. Well, look, it's like a psycho killer. That's one note. That's a fucking great <laughs> bass line. It's a, it's a, when you hear that note, you know it's psycho killer. Like, oh, yeah. Uh, fuck. <laughs> fuck, yeah. I mean, there's even more econo lines than that. Think about, yeah. you know, James Jamerson's the big daddy, the guy with the Motown. He's on 200 top tens, and his name's only yeah. on one of them. But the, what what about the bass line he's got for My Girl? Boom, yeah, boom, 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 <laughs> boom. You bet. It's almost a kick drum thing. Man, there's something about... A, I saw Stanley Clark just recently say, yeah, anybody could do a bass solo, but write a good bass line, that's hard. Yeah, you know, I I got one other tiny story about Stanley mm. Clark, his stepdaughter. She came saw me play. After the gig, I didn't know. You know, she comes up. I'm Stanley Clark's stepdaughter. Hi, uh, you know what? You don't play bass. And I said, Well, yeah, I'm you know, <laughs> I'm learning yeah, you know, <laughs> wrestling. He goes, No, no, you you fuck bass. Oh wow. That's Stanley Clark. Has, has <laughs> his, his stepdaughter told me that. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, thank you, ma'am. And I loaded up my shit, you know, maybe early 20s or something. What What's your opinion on, like, jazz when they do, like, you know, like, jazz will always have, everyone does a solo. And, I know, and it gets, but, gets gratuitous. Look, I know from the gigs Pettibone took me to. When it's time for the bass solo, that's when everybody takes the piss. What what do you think about when they they go they go inverted where they don't even you know pound it out that they go inward where it's quiet what, uh, that drives me crazy but I'm just wondering what you think <laughs> what well, you know every time you make stuff predictable and gratuitous you got people sleepwalking uh -huh. you know I mean yeah. I as a uh, metaphor like for their brain so I think you got to use surprise and stuff to keep them you know listening. You can't get yeah. gratuitous. And that's what... Ha Look, the big joke is Thelonious Monk would have never won the Thelonious Monk competition. They're always... You know, orthodoxy always wins over exploration. Yeah. So what was a once vibrant, alive art form gets turned into the glass box with, you know, Vlad Lenin in it. <laughs> yeah, that weird-looking skin. <laughs> Let the and, guy rest. <laughs> and Monk only did like 61 songs, though. Like, he repeated them over and over. Yeah, but, but he probably never played them the same way, though. He'd get never. up and dance. What, what, kind, what, kind of, uh, what kind of mental health issue do you think he had? Well, I think... Schizophrenia? Yeah. And uh, I know for sure Bud Powell got electric things and that really wrecked his playing so monk maybe some uh self-medicate also man he had to deal with beatings and you know, like you were saying earlier with the racism and shit who knows if that stuff you know was it uh defense of just trying to protect his remember the end of brazil 
And they're in his fucking brain with the goddamn... It's no samurai. That's a scalpel. They're in his brain. Uh-huh. So maybe yeah, he was just trying that. to defend himself in a way. What do you think about Mingus? A little belage, huh? <laughs> <laughs> little Belige, he's he's from here, you know. He's not like those guys. He's West Coast. Eric Dolphy, mm-hmm. Los Angeles, actually learned in school. Red Colander, right? The school system making fucking uh, uh, Eric Dolphy's daddy builds him a prac pad in the backyard. Incredible. See, that's why I ask those questions about the school and stuff because actually, some music, jazz, wild stuff came out of the school system. Yeah. And uh, uh, Beneath the Underdog, great book. Probably some of it's bullshit, but yeah. And he never composed that. on I read bass. That. He had <laughs> sex with like twenty-seven women at one time or something. <laughs> to understand me is to understand three. Yeah, I know, I know, I know. And he's over the top and shit. And, but but there's something book, about though. him. He's a force of life. Uh, I, I he he's something that the jazz scene needed in a way. Yeah, I read this weird thing where Stanley Clark in the late 60s, Atlantic Records got him together and he wanted to show him take the A train. And, and uh, Stanley Clark, I, I don't need to learn that song. And then uh, Charlie Mingus hated electric bass. So it was like, <laughs> you know, you, you had some bit, or larger life personalities in a way, but I mean, he's, his music is trippy. He took the Duke Ellington thing and then made it all like fucking Spike Jones. He, he interesting composer, interesting uh, uh, oh, music he's, guy. He's a fantastic composer. Yeah. Hey, did, did you ever read that Sue Mingus book where he went to Brazil, I think, to uh, try to fix his Lou Gehrig's disease, like towards the end? And yeah. His, 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 uh, he never talked to his son and his son came down. I, I want to make that into a movie too. Once I do your uh, TV special for okay. Minutemen, I, I want to I want to do that book. Yeah, you because... know some of these people, like in that Miles book, he says the two biggest disappointments in my life are my sons, and then I, me and Raymond met one of the sons who was doing a photography thing of his stuff, and he he knew all about Black Flag and Minuteman, and I was thinking, why did Miles write that? <laughs> yeah, some of these guys had kind of, what did Orson Welles call it? Unfortunate personalities. He said he had one. <laughs> he did. You know, yeah. I met him once. You know, we had this chili dog thing in Hollywood called Pinks. Uh-huh. And he had one in each hand. And I'd go, Mr. Wells. He goes, I'd shake your hand, Mr. Uh, young man, but I am busy. <laughs> he had a chili dog in each hand. <laughs> and he was giant. I mean, not just fat, but he was like six foot six, three hundred pounds or something. A couple of years before he passed away, incredible cat. But sometimes that happens. There's the artist, and then there's the work, and it's like, uh oh. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think that you know uh, pe- that people were allowed to be eccentric back then, and that was part of the mystique. Because uh, one of my uh, one of my um, other disc jockeys loves James Brown. He goes, yeah. how did he get, how did he get away with all that stuff? Or, you know, how do you get away with the wife beating and, and being you know terrible? And he said the same with Ray Charles, how'd they get away with it? And he said, people didn't even pay attention to it. It was common back then. You know, the domestic abuse was just not, yeah, that not that, a, that, not that big a deal. <laughs> that was a bad thing. And, uh, 
Yeah, nothing to be I, proud I, of. Nothing to be proud of. Uh, both of them had drug problems. Yeah. In fact, Spot, the producer guy, the old Minuteman producer guy, lived next door. Grew up in Lamert Park next to Ray Charles and saw him get a speeding sh- ticket. He had a guy in the car with him. Yeah, he was drag racing blind. Really? <laughs> I wouldn't shit you, Tom. <laughs> <laughs> That's crazy. <laughs> yeah, totally fucking crazy. And Jim Brown, Jim Brown, he he fined his some of his backup singers for wearing the wrong clothes to the airport, not below the oh, clam on the stage. Yeah, yeah so some of these true. guys, a little over the top, you know. Yeah, a little over the top. But he got a pass. Yeah, yeah because of their art. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. If if. You do get away with it. Look at Car- uh, Caravaggio. That dude killed a dude. Stabbed him in the balls, right? He gets a pass. Well, kind of. <laughs> <laughs> he kind of did. You read about his life. But, I mean, that... I guess if you have... You do good art, you can. Uh, Phil Spector didn't get a pass. Well, until, until the murder. Like, he was good up until the murder. Yeah. You know being a Beatles fan, like he was like crazed out back then. Uh, and those guys, you know, they, he got credit for a plastic Ono band, but he wasn't there. He wasn't there in Imagine. He put strings on at the end. Uh, yeah, Paul McCartney George, didn't want strings on his. Yeah, I read about that. Be, George Harrison hated All Things Must Pass. He said he yeah. was ruined by Spectre. So whatever he did, you know, they he, they didn't like it. Yeah. And then he stole uh, the rock and roll, uh, you know, uh, uh, masters from Lennon. Uh, yeah. Wouldn't give him back for like over a year or so. No, I, I, I'm not a big fan of Phil Spector. Not even of his work. You know, I, I, I like some sounds a lot better from other people than him. Tony Visconti, listen to oh fucking Slider. Awesome. Slider is such a bitchin'. That snare drum sound. And Flo and what, Eddie sounds so good. What do you think of uh, uh, Tony doing uh, remakes of Bowie stuff? Like that Lodger album he did, I thought was fantastic. The remake of it. Yeah, but I, what did he end up doing? Like a bunch of, many Bowie albums. He ended up doing many. And he plays bass on uh, Width of a Circle, Man Who Sold the World. Yeah. In fact, he's got a Watt Plower bass. I saw a picture of him with him. He lives up in Woodstock. He, they're going to tour on that. They're going to do the, that album from beginning oh, well. to end. Well, you know, uh, I, like his, I, I like his... I would take Tony Visconti's production work over Phil Spector any day. All right, I agree with you. You know, Bob Enzer was really good, too. Bob Enzer, Alice yeah. Cooper. Yeah, I think he, he had a wide range of artists that he worked with. He did with really good. My, my favorite of his is uh, Berlin, Lou Reed. Yep, yeah, definitely. Uh I think he did the first uh, Peter Gabriel album. Uh, I think he did it. He did ACDC, I think. Pink Floyd. Good stuff. Well, I know he made uh, uh, Alice Cooper. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he helped good. Kiss, too, right? The Destroyer, yeah. I think, is him. Yeah, yeah. good stuff. Yeah. Producing is a hard job. Do, that there's a joke about it, right? Like, how many how many producers does it take to screw in a light bulb? I don't know. I don't know. What do you think? Because <laughs> <laughs> right, that's their favorite. The uh, my friend had a band and hated uh, Todd Rundgren, 
said said uh, he was ridiculous. He it was it was like doing exactly the same thing that you said. What do you think? Yeah. Okay, we're going to move on. Yeah, so you're just buying the name for the album cover. Well, yeah, he got a hit off of it. But <laughs> but he wasn't the only one. Everyone else complained about Todd Runger, too. Patty Smith. No, I, I've, I've heard it. I've heard it, too. I've heard it, too. Yeah. Um, yeah. But they, he got some hits. When you get a track record, you can you can ha- go ahead and do it. Well, that's the thing about humans. They want the shortcut sometimes. It, but there yeah. ain't no shortcut on the truth. That's why I played John Coltrane first every show. Yeah, you're right. And I'm glad you did. And I'm glad that we talked. I uh, This was a lot of fun. Uh, I, I, this is beyond my expectations. I have no idea how I'm going to cut this down. Uh, <laughs> or if I do it at all, just let it go. Uh, okay. But I, <laughs> Look, but I, one of the reasons why I think it was good is because you asked some fucking happening stuff and not the same old, same old. Oh, good, good. Yeah, well, there, there, there's stuff that I wanted to, I wanted to know uh, personally. And, um, and then I, I just really, I think it's cool the way you ask your questions and I wanted to see what you did. And there's a reason why you do what you do. So I wanted to know what that was, what was the reasoning for all your questions. And, uh, it's interesting what people are saying. Like now that I've listened to a lot, I'm kind of key on, on what they say. And you're really, really responsive to people and you really work with them and make it really like a. Uh, a, a great conversation. Yeah. Most kind. I mean, yeah. I think just music's an important thing. And if people are going to put their balls out to do it and really try and not take the shortcut, they deserve some respect from what? You could. <laughs> I agree. Okay. I agree. And yeah, keep on doing what you're doing. Okay. And uh, I, th- I thank you for the, d- the time. I'm going to flip you my email. Please. And, and uh, this was a blast. So, okay, brother. Uh, thank you. I appreciate it. Big love, Tom. Uh, all right. Thank hope you enjoyed something came from baltimore today subscribe to that podcast then flip it to five people who love music and you know we are everywhere except for spotify because we play music here we want you to be a part of that be more music scene we are also on thebox.com and on patreon thank you for your support that's it you're pretty good